interview with Bruce Springsteen. Bruce, uh, the boss, Springsteen, who at 60 continues to pack out rock and roll venues, even with his AARP card in his back pocket. Uh, Springsteen, who has sold 120 million albums, 20 Grammys, recently recognizes the the 38th greatest musical entertainer of all time. Springsteen um, has powerful concerts and powerful lyrics, and many of his lyrics are about his father, with whom he had a very difficult, troubled, distant relationship. And he uh, has been known to talk about his dad at some length at his concerts, and, and it's known that he is often uh, would write songs to communicate with his father. He said this in the interview. My dad was very nonverbal. You couldn't really have a conversation with him. I had to make peace with that, but I had to have a conversation with him because I had to. It ain't the best way to go about it, writing songs to tell him things, but it was the only way I could, so I did. Later in the interview, he said, My struggle with my parents is the subject of my life. It's the thing that eats at me and always will. Those wounds stay with you, and you turn uh, them into a language and a purpose. This uh, article ends with Springsteen claiming that all rock and roll music is one long, loud, embarrassing scream for daddy. Second story took place just uh, out in the lobby uh, a number of years ago. We were just getting ready to start men's fraternity, and this uh, gentleman, probably in his early 70s, dressed in a suit, came up to me, and he said, uh, okay, this uh, Friday morning thing, what's it about? Um, today, if somebody asks me what men's fraternity is, I say it's sort of a you know, cross between a sports bar and church, and it's uh, designed to help men figure out what it means to be a man. I didn't have that language back then, so I started talking about what I was going to talk about that fall. And I said, well, we're going to look this fall at a number of common ways that boys are prevented from becoming men. Why we have so many adult males today who are not truly men. Many men, many adult males don't even know what it means to be a man. And I then started to go in. Uh, I said, there's, there's ways they're hurt. For instance, there's many men today, many adult males in their 40s or 50s, who still desperately long to hear their fathers say, uh, I'm proud of you. When I said that... Uh, he visually sort of, you know, came to attention, and I, I stopped talking for a second, and I watched as he, uh, his shoulders began to, to heave, and he quickly uh, began to sob. His wife, who was part of the conversation, put her arm around him, and we just sort of stood there for about a minute until he got his composure, and then he said, um, I'll be there. Third story. This is uh, personal. It was uh, probably seven, eight years ago. Sherry called me one afternoon and said, this message that you have been saving on the phone is uh, about to be deleted. This is 
a hundred generations of phone technology ago. I don't know what happens today, but at that point, we still had a home phone, and we had a voicemail system, and, and messages that you saved would only be saved for a hundred days. After that, they would delete them unless you did some, jump through some hoops in order to keep them. And I had kept a message on our machine for most of a year. Sherry knew the message was from my dad. She didn't know what the message said. And so I uh, started to explain to her what it was. And now this time, I'm the one crying. And I'm trying to say, this is a message from my dad, who virtually never calls. Uh, But at the end of this message, he had very casually uh, said, um, well, that's it, son. I'm proud of you, and I love you. And I was trying to say to Sherry, you know, I don't understand the power of these words. But I occasionally call just to listen to him say that. Now, I didn't hear those words often growing up. Let me tell you a little bit more about the story. And I want to I be certain that on this Father's Day, uh, I am not beating up on my father, which would not be a very uh, Father's Day friendly thing of me to do. So uh, I want to start by saying he did many things right. Uh, he was a great provider. He loved my mom. He sacrificed for us. He was stable. Uh, I also want to say he's a very different man today than he was. As a matter of fact, since coming to faith in Christ and being profoundly changed by God, uh, my siblings and I occasionally ask each other when we're together, um, who took dad, right? Uh, Who is this man uh, that looks like our dad, but we don't recognize him? This is not the guy that we grew up with. Uh, My relationship with him today is far better than, in one sense, perhaps it's ever been, certainly than it's been in in 40 years. And I love my father, and he, with some uh, habit, with some consistency, tells me that he's proud of me and that that he loves me. So it's a very different day, but those were not things that I heard growing up. And I understand that. The more he has opened up about his own story, the more it has made sense. He had a very challenging first 30 years. He grew up um, desperately poor. He believes that as a 10 and 11-year-old with a paper route that he was often uh, making more money and giving more money to his mom than his dad was able to give to her. Um, He sort of scraped and borrowed and did everything that he could to be one of the few that made it out of his high school class uh, into college. He did this in part on an Army ROTC scholarship. He worked other jobs. He went through, uh, got an engineering degree at Michigan State, accepted a job with Deere, uh, John Deere, and actually worked for Deere for a couple years before he then uh, went to fulfill his obligation to the Army uh, three years, most of which was served in Japan. Sent his money, all his checks, back to his parents for them to deposit. When he uh, got out of the Army and went back home, he discovered that all of that money was gone, that they had spent it, and that he had $10 to his name, one pair of pants, two shirts, one pair of shoes, and an old clunky car, and he needed to get from uh, outside of Detroit to the Quad Cities and live on that $10 for the next couple weeks. So um, I understand why there was a, um, I'll say, an anger 
that was often just under the surface. And I understand why what I would absorb from him as a kid growing up was, it's up to you. You have to make it happen. Show no weakness. Expect no favors, right? You have to make this work. No one's going to look out for you. And I also uh, understand why, you know, there would be moments significant to me uh, that I, you know, remember very vividly where he would say things that, you know, he would now certainly not say. But as as a young kid, I don't know, 10 or 11, I remember him saying, okay, it's time to step up, time to raise your game, you're the oldest of five kids, Uh, I'm going to start expecting a lot more from you. I think it's reasonable to expect that you will grow to hate me for what I am going to demand of you. Uh, I don't hate you. I love you. I'm doing this because I think it's the good thing to do. And I also remember about that time, he said to me, uh, never cry. You're done crying. That's, That's over. You cannot show weakness. That's, that is unacceptable. I never want to see you cry again. Well, I didn't always do what my dad said, but uh, this is one case where uh, I did. And it was probably 20 years from that point until I finally was able to cry again. It was years after I decided that not crying wasn't a good thing, right? That, uh, that there are things worth crying over. And it was uh, when I came to realize that you can't just shut down certain emotions. If you shut down emotions, (laughs) you shut down emotions. And I had to work to try and go there. Um, So I I, I say all this to say I um, I don't want to overplay my hand. Again, I love my dad. He did so many things right. He, he, He sacrificed for us. But this is not a man who said I'm proud of you. This is not a man who said, I love you. My memories growing up were that nothing was ever quite good enough. That, and, and if it was, if it was sort of arguably good enough, that the conversation we would have would be, um, why didn't you get to this point earlier, or are you going to be able to maintain what you've just done? So when Sherry calls to say, there's a message on the, on the phone. I don't, you know, don't know what it is, but I know you've been saving it for the most of, of a year. I'm crying as I try to say to her, it's okay to let it go. I'm, I haven't listened to it in a while, and, uh, but this is what it was. And uh, the power of a father's words are remarkable. Now, I can make this point all morning long. I can make it in a variety of other ways. It's worth noting that statistically, uh, if you look at some of the, the, the most prominent and angry atheists, you will find that they had horrible relationships with their dads. Uh, a book came out not long ago by Mary Eberhardt called How the West Really Lost God. And she um, sort of makes a strong case to say Faith in God has disappeared where fathers have disappeared. Secularization theory was the big idea coming out of the Enlightenment. The the thinking was as we 
become more educated, as we become enlightened, as more, as more and more people get, get a degree, get educated and understand things, we will give up our silly superstitious beliefs in God. Secularization theory uh, has been completely repudiated, okay? Uh, we're not becoming, as we become more educated, the world does not believe in God less. Uh, Western Europe has given up on God. Uh, Canada and parts of the U.S. seem to be headed in that same direction. The rest of the world, Africa, Asia, China, Latin America, belief in God is exploding. Christianity is exploding. Uh, So everybody has sort of had to say, yes, uh, secularization theory didn't work. The question is, what exactly is happening? And Eberhardt makes the case that where families have fallen apart, belief in God has fallen apart. It's hard, and she explains this sort of anecdotally in a number of ways, it's hard to persuade people of a good, gracious, loving Heavenly Father when they don't see loving earthly fathers. We could uh, look to the power, the sort of mystical power of fathers by looking at the, the case studies of kids who are removed from homes because their fathers are abusive, right, in whatever way, and seeing how desperately those kids who have been abused still long to return to their dad. We could go back to the story of Robert Lewis, which I have uh, shared, men's fraternity, guys have heard this, but Robert Lewis um, grew up in a home with a father who was Uh, an unfunctioning alcoholic, um, unemployable, and I don't remember if he was abusive, but he was AWOL as a dad. And Lewis, like many men, like many young boys in this situation, is rescued effectively by a coach who comes alongside him and believes in him and channels Lewis's anger uh, into football. And Lewis... Uh, excels and becomes the defensive captain and middle linebacker for the Razorbacks of, of Arkansas, and they play for a national title, and he's, you know, fearless and, and likely would have had a pro career had he not, um, had he not injured his neck so many times. Uh, but this anger that made Lewis such an effective football player proved to be um, a bit of a problem when he becomes uh, a husband and a father and a pastor. And so in his uh, mid-30s, he is aware that he has this problem and he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know what's going on. And he's out taking a walk one afternoon trying to figure out what is going on in his life when he has this epiphany, this breakthrough, and he realizes he is mad at his father. He is angry that he didn't have a dad who was there for him, who, who modeled life for him, who showed him what it looked like to get up every day and go to work, who, who threw the baseball and football with him, who, who taught him how to tie a tie, who taught him how to do all the things that, that a father was expected to do, and Lewis felt cheated out of it. And he says he just has a couple of hours of just sobbing in this park. And then he faces the uh, fact that, um, yes, he had been cheated. Uh, that what, what happened to him was not right, it was not good, it was not, in a sense, fair. But it is what happened. And so he now had to decide what he would do about this, and, and he came to the conclusion that he needed to forgive his dad and uh, move on. 
And it was only at that point that he was able uh, to move on. And then, of course, has sort of uh, told the story and, and gone about founding um, Men's Fraternity, which now has 40,000 chapters around the world. We could, uh, we could look at prison statistics. It's, it, we've got a growing ministry. Um, Kim Gates is leading in prisons here, Lake County. Alpha and Men's Fraternity and other programs that we're putting on there. And, and there is a, uh, there's a common refrain when you are working in prisons, and that is that uh, the men there didn't really have a relationship with their dads. And when you ask, that's what you hear. And it reminded me of a story I heard years ago about um, a former uh, Dallas Cowboy player who had started a a ministry in prisons. And after Roger Staubach retired, he invited Staubach to come with him one day when he was going to this prison. And as he generally did, he asked, how many of you um, here have a good relationship with your father? And, you know, one or two hands go up. And he goes, how many of you heard from your father that you were an idiot and worthless and a loser and would never amount to anything? All the hands go up. And he has his conversation, gives his message to the men. And afterwards, he, uh, goes, to, um, he goes to find Staubach. And Staubach is still uh, visibly distraught. And uh, he asked him, you know, what, what he found so particularly moving about what had happened. And he said, my father told me over and over and over again that I was a great person, that he loved me, that he was proud of me, that I was going to be the greatest quarterback to play in the NFL and that I would be a better person than I would be quarterback. He goes, what if my dad had told me I was worthless? The power of a father's words. There are billions of people on this planet who have a deep, unending, complex, and virtually limitless need for the love and affirmation of their father. In light of that, let me read our passage again today. Luke chapter 3 Verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, This message is part of this ongoing series that we're doing in Luke and part of a series now, mini-series entitled Your Life Matters. In light of our Luke study, I need to just pause and and point out this is a pivot point in the gospel. Luke has been bouncing back and forth between John the Baptist and Jesus. The announcement of John's birth, the announcement of Jesus' birth. Some stuff about John's parents, some information about Jesus' mom and then Joseph. Some, some uh, stories about John and what he did. Some stories about Jesus. We've been bouncing back and forth between the one uh, who was a prophet and the one who was a Messiah. This one, small o. This one, capital O. Uh, this now becomes the pivot point from this point forward. 
Jesus is on center stage, and uh, John is around, but he's got a supporting role. Jesus will move on to the center, uh, and he will never leave. And we could argue he will never leave. He will remain the focus of everything uh, for all of eternity. It's also worth noting in this passage that it is a profound passage with, with significant theological messaging going on here. Um, Jesus apparently is part of the crowd who goes down to hear John preach at the Jordan River. And when the, the altar call is given, Jesus is among those who wade out into the Jordan to be baptized. This is a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is without sin. What is Jesus doing being baptized? Um, This is one of the only places in all of Scripture where we have the the triune Godhead all present. God the Father speaking out of heaven. Jesus, the Son, there being baptized and praying. And then the Spirit of God descending upon him uh, as a dove. This is a profound passage, not because of what it has to say about fathers, Uh, It's a profound passage in recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. There's a whole lot here, and for that reason, we will come back to this passage next week to to look at some of those important points. Today, I, I simply want to stay on this idea of the power of a father's words. There are, there are remarkably few instances in the entire Bible where God speaks audibly out of heaven. There are only three in the New Testament. Jesus' baptism, at the transfiguration, and at the crucifixion. All three of them are words of affirmation by God the Father to God the Son. I want to suggest that if... God the Father uh, found reason and need to affirm God the Son. And if uh, Bruce Springsteen is uh, on record saying all rock and roll music is one loud, long, embarrassing scream for daddy. And if there are 70-year-old men who can be reduced to tears in a flash by suggesting that maybe they still long to hear their father say, I'm proud of you. And if there's a 45-year-old saving a voice message to just play it back again and hear, I'm proud of you, I love you, I want to suggest that, that there is a lot of power in a father's words. Now let me qualify this ever so slightly for just a minute. Uh, by arguing that Sons and daughters need to hear words of affirmation and love from their fathers. I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to diminish the important, God-given, critical role of mothers. This is not trying to elevate the words of a father over the words of a mother at all. This is Father's Day, and our text is about fathers. Um, I do think that the love and affirmation of a father and a mother are different. And we are focused on the affirmation and love of a father. Uh, Secondly, I want to be clear that uh, children who are raised without a father can make it, can grow up to be strong, vital, vibrant, stable uh, men and women. We we all know this because we all know people who've done it. My father-in-law 
grew up without his father. His, he was, his, his father was killed in a farming accident before Sherry's father was born. Her mother did not remarry until after Sherry was born. So he grew up without a father in his life for 40-some years. He is a stable, competent, stand-up guy. One of, uh, one of my friends back on the West Coast um, had a father who was a disaster. And, uh, and this guy is just a, a five-star dad. He's got a great marriage. He continues to be recognized, not just he was first, he was you know, the, the greatest teacher in the area. Then he became the principal with all the accolades. And then he was the best principal in the state. And then he's in the White House being recognized as one of the, one of the top three principals in the country. He's a great guy. His father was a disaster. It can happen. Now, let's be honest. It's not nearly as easy. There are obstacles and challenges if a dad isn't there, but it can be done. Thirdly, I am not suggesting that fathers have earned this power or favor. As a matter of fact, a big part of my message is they haven't. It's unearned. It is, a, it is somehow this, this sacred trust that is bestowed upon dads. And, and it is to be stewarded and it is to be cared for. I, I, perhaps some people have argued that, that because we all were, were created to enjoy a loving, gracious relationship with our Heavenly Father... There's some sort of overlap between our Heavenly Father and the roles our earthly fathers play. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. All I'm saying is, dads, your words matter. And more than your words, obviously. Right? It's, words need to be matched by actions. Um, it's not just your words that matter, it's your life, it's your character, it's how you treat the mother of your children. All of those things matter. My point today is that your children depend upon you in ways you don't understand. Your life matters to them in ways you might not fully appreciate. So, what do we do about this? What, what's, what's the takeaway here? Well, <clears throat> two things to say to dads, and then something to say to everybody who ever in any way, shape, or form had a dad. First of all, to the dads, let me start by saying, um, look, I know you have regrets about the way you have uh, stewarded this influence, right? That you have done things or not done things or said things that you wish you could take back. I, I, that's, that's a given, right? We're not perfect people. We all make mistakes. We are broken by sin. Uh, hurt people hurt people. I get all that. I wish I could rewind the tape as a son I wish I could rewind the tape as a father, especially as a father. There are things we would all do differently. My goal today is not to make you feel one ounce of guilt 
over what has happened in the past. Confess your sin and apologize to your children and tell them you would do it differently if you had it over to do. Uh, That's point number one. Then draw a line in the sand and go out to try and do a better job. Point number two is um, find the right ways to love and make investments in their lives. I'm talking about the power of a father's words. I, I think the words are uniquely significant. Maybe you're not good with words. Maybe like uh, the, the army colonel's father, what you ought to do is write a letter. Maybe that's the right way for you to go. Maybe words don't matter to your kids nearly as much as other ways they hear and experience love. Be a student of your kids, however old they are, 50, 60 years old, right? 70 years old. You got 70-year-old kids. It doesn't end. They're still looking for words of love and affirmation from you. Find ways to make those deposits. Now, to um, all the rest of us, let me say, um, this is Father's Day. 99.9% of us um, can find something to affirm in our fathers. If your father is alive, I I can't say 100% because there are dads, tragically, who are not safe. And they don't get that they're not safe, but they're not safe. And I'm not encouraging you to make contact at this moment with a father that's not safe. It's impossible to know whether you should or shouldn't. I can't give advice to 400 people at a time. But I can give advice to almost all of us and say, look, fathers matter. Families matter. We need stronger families. We need stronger relationships between fathers and daughters and fathers and sons and between mothers and daughters and mothers and sons. We need the whole thing to to, to rise to a higher level than it's at right now. Families matter. Part of making families work is honoring fathers and mothers. It's one of the commandments. This is a great day to find some way to honor your father. Give him a bad tie. Uh, Listen to the high school story that he's told you 30 times again. Uh, I don't know what it looks like to honor your dad, but almost all of us can find some way uh, to do that. And then finally, let me um, just say, maybe you had, like Robert Lewis, like my friend, maybe you had a particularly bad dad. I'm sorry. You also have a perfectly loving, gracious, heavenly Father that you can rely on, who makes no mistakes, and whose love is unconditional, and uh, who loves you. So, happy Father's Day. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, on behalf of fathers... uh, I want to thank you for being a perfect father, a wise, all-knowing father, a father who never loses his temper, uh, a father who always knows the right thing to do. And I want to confess that we are not that. And I want to ask for your favor and your wisdom and your grace and uh, new opportunities to be better dads. 
um, to understand and rightly steward the power that you have given to us and to do so in ways that are, are pleasing to you and bring life uh, to our sons and daughters. And I want to pray for those. Um, I want to pray for some great conversations today. I want to pray for some great connections today, um, ways forward, families being strengthened, um, fathers and sons and fathers and daughters and families um, being more what you have called them to be. To that end, we ask again for your favor. And I pray especially for those who um, continue to grieve their situation at this moment or who have recently lost a father or a mother for whom this day will be hard, uh, who are not fathers when they had hoped to be. There's so many ways this can be sideways. Pray for your, um, just a a special measure of your grace and love uh, poured out to them today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.